Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are dropping the negativity, the fear, and the anger as we adopt a kinder approach to ourselves and others. We're seeking the good, the possible, and even the impossible as we initiate a radical mood makeover. Tired of feeling frustrated, irritated, and helpless? Most of us are, yet day after day we visit and revisit these feelings, staying stuck without a real plan forward. Unlike Cinderella, there is no fairy godmother standing ready to transform our lives or attitudes with a wave of her wand. We have to dry our eyes, calm our nerves, and cool our jets to see what we're actually working with. You can't strive for better if you aren't sure where you're falling short. And wallowing in our melancholy mood is getting us nowhere. So let's start there. What are your mind and body telling you And where might you be missing the message? Your body might be saying, Hey you, I'm tired. I need a little more rest to perform at the level at which you're pushing our life's pace. But outside influences say, There is plenty of time to rest when you're dead. Your mind might be saying, Ouch, I'm getting bogged down with all this conflicting information and super anxious by the tone. But outside influences tell you, You have to stay informed or you can't get involved. It's up to you to fix it. As a result of this constant struggle, you feel behind and anxious about catching up. Wonder where your bad mood comes from? I'm not sure, but it sounds like we're on the right track. And if you don't know, shouldn't you look for the answers? Let me remind you, no one is going to do it for you. There isn't a happy clown to visit you when you feel blue or a water boy to ice you down when you're angry. And if there was a warm hug at the ready when you're having a bad day, I would already know about it. Did I mention the journey to self-discovery is essentially a solo mission? Sure, you have plenty of help along the way, but it takes your foot on the gas to continue forward. So I want to know more about these moods, where they come from, and what I can do to get to the source of the irritant, overcome it, and get back on my journey. It's hard to expect peak performance when you have sludge in your engine, right? To put us at ease from the beginning, Mamata Sharma gets us started with an instant mood makeover, how to change mental state in under five minutes. Instant mood makeover is a quick and effective method to change your mental state, i.e. your thoughts and your emotions in under five minutes by following four simple steps. Before we look at these four steps that can help you change your mental state, ask yourself, wouldn't it be great if you could change your thought or emotion anytime you want? Imagine what it would be like to be able to think and feel however you want, whenever you want. That is possible with an instant mood makeover. So step one, describe the feeling in the body. Describe what's happening in your body when you're experiencing distress. For example, you might say, I feel my head spinning, or I feel a little tightness in my chest, or I feel the beginning of a headache. Think about what the emotion feels like in your body. 
This shifts you from experiencing the distressing thought or emotion to observing it. This awareness itself changes the perception of the thought or emotion. Step two, label the emotion. Use one word to name the emotion you're feeling. It could be fear, guilt, shame, anger, helplessness, anxiety, frustration, sadness, irritation, and so on. This further distances you from the emotion and you realize that the emotion is just an emotion. It doesn't define you. Imagine saying, I am feeling anxiety rather than I am anxious. You're not anxious. You're just experiencing anxiety. This may seem subtle, but what you experience is vastly different. Step three, identify the thought that is causing the emotion in your mind. All emotions are caused by thoughts in our heads. In this step, find the thought that is causing the emotion. For example, anxiety causing thought could be, I have too much on my plate, so I won't be able to do things well. Regardless of the emotion you're experiencing, find the thought that is causing it. Step four, change the thought. Deliberately think something different to change the thought you're thinking. This will change the emotion. It should be something that you can think and believe and something that creates the emotion you want to create. For example, instead of thinking, I have too much on my plate, so I won't be able to do things well, tell yourself, I may have too much on my plate, but I'll probably get it done because I'm a great multitasker. Or I have too much on my plate, but I'll probably get it done because I know how to prioritize. Once you choose a statement, practice it. The more you practice it, the more you'll naturally start believing it. You'll notice that your mental state changes and you feel completely different quickly. This is because you have shifted your focus from problem to solution, from being affected by your emotion to observing it from outside. You've reprogrammed your mind to believe in productive thought, leading you to be in a state of excellence. to joke that I have two speeds, full throttled or parked. Seriously, I'm normally always in a good mood. I know, I know, super annoying. When I was in my early 20s, I used to get really stressed out, probably for the same reasons everybody does today. Living paycheck to almost paycheck, feeling behind with too much assumed responsibility, and this feeling that I needed to amount to something. Super stressful for sure. Then one day, it was like a switch was flipped. My mind started questioning the mood. Sounds silly, but it said, is this going to kill me? Is my family in immediate danger? No? Okay. Well, then I have some time to figure it all out. And from then, I started compartmentalizing things, dealing with them when I could, but not letting them disrupt my forward progression. That doesn't mean I don't feel stress or anxiety. It means that I'm able to monitor it, classify the real threat, and then move past it quicker than I used to. The Better Health Channel gives us more ideas on monitoring your mood. I mean, everybody gets moody. 
Some days you'll feel on top of the world and other days you'll feel under the weather. It's okay to feel sad sometimes. Most people know when they're feeling in a mood. But do you know what mood means? Or where your mood comes from? Or how to change your mood? Simply, a mood is part of your emotional rhythm, but a little less intense than an emotion. And it usually has a trigger, like an event or an experience. Your mood may be something that you try to achieve, like peacefulness from doing yoga, or something over which you feel you have no control, like an annoyance about a parking ticket. And it may last only a short while, or it may hang around a long time. Understanding your moods may help you work out what causes them and how you tend to behave when you are in different moods. You probably know that you feel good when you're in a positive mood, like you feel content, loving, excited. And you probably know you feel much worse when you're in a negative mood, like anxious, disgusted, or annoyed. Your moods are useful to you, and they're a big part of how you choose to behave and think. A negative mood can be a useful indicator of a problem that needs to be tackled. Most moods pass within a day or so, and even in a flat mood, you can still go about your daily activities. But if down or dark moods are significantly disrupting your life, it's important that you recognize them and seek help. Moods and emotions are complex. It's thought three factors combine to create them in the brain. Biology, for example, your hormones or brain chemicals. Psychology, like your personality or learned responses. And environment, like illness or emotional stress. Common everyday causes of a negative mood could be things like stress, poor sleep, being overly tired or overworked, needing to eat, interactions with people around you, the news, the weather, hormonal changes, or lack of exercise. Other causes of negative moods can include drugs and alcohol, poor nutrition, medication side effects, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, bipolar disorder, dementia, physical illness or chronic pain. Some of these, such as your nutrition, exercise, and sleep habits, or your use of alcohol and other drugs, are lifestyle-related. But your environment can also affect your mood in many ways, like certain chemicals in your environment can trigger a negative reaction, like additives or preservatives in your food, pesticides in farming, seasonal fluctuations in daylight and weather, bad weather or limited daylight can make you feel flat and make life harder to manage. Noise pollution and air quality What about natural disasters that can put an unimaginable amount of stress on the mind and body? Understanding your moods helps you manage them and feel better faster. If you're more aware of your moods, you may be able to better manage your lifestyle choices, make informed health decisions, prevent or avoid triggers of negative moods, and work towards a better quality of life. The trick is to watch for changes in your mood, particularly any like very high swings or very low dips. Self-monitoring is free, and it takes hardly any time, and it becomes easier as you make it a part of your daily routine. 
Usually a load mood goes away quite quickly and doesn't require treatment. But if your low moods are lasting for more than two weeks and you have felt sad, down, or miserable most of the time or have lost interest in most of your usual activities, you could have depression. Make an appointment to talk to your GP about how you're feeling. Mindfulness is a popular approach to managing low mood in which you maintain a moment-by-moment awareness of your thoughts, feelings, bodily sensations, and your environment. You accept what comes without judgment. Other ways to fix a low mood could be making time to do things you enjoy or try something new, like connect with others. You could take a friend to the movies or catch up with coffee. Take time to enjoy spending time in your garden, go for a walk, listen to some music. Participate and share interests, like take up painting or a language class, join a sports club. Contribute to your community. Volunteer some of your time for a cause or help out a neighbor or friend. Take care of yourself. Get a haircut, a massage, go for a swim. Challenge yourself. Train for a running event or cook something new. Reduce your stress. Declutter your house, do a yoga class, or try meditation. Rest and refresh. Notice the here and now. Feel the sun, the wind on your face. Smell the scents of the garden. Feel the warmth of your cup of coffee in your hands. And ask for help. Call a friend or a family member and talk to them about how you're feeling. Sometimes moodiness signals a serious medical condition known as a mood disorder. There are two main types of mood disorders, bipolar disorder and depressive disorders, like depression, seasonal affective disorder, or postnatal depression. Moodiness may also reflect substance abuse or medical conditions such as dementia or cardiac disease. If your moods are triggered by excessive worrying that seems difficult to control, you might have generalized anxiety disorder. This disorder involves excessive and ongoing worry or anxiety about common issues like family, money, or work problems. Treatments and professional help are available for worry. Remember, everybody gets moody. Moods are a natural part of your emotional rhythm. Understanding your moods helps you manage them and feel better faster. Sometimes moodiness signals a serious medical condition known as a mood disorder. If that's the case, see your GP or healthcare professional. Today, I don't consume content like a Pac-Man game. Seriously. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? To get from here to there, you have to eat and consume all the information insulting you. Of course, we play a role and have a lot of responsibility in that game. We paid a pretty penny for a handheld device that has access to any bit of information, healthy or toxic, that we can dream up. And you don't even have to search for it. It's plated there for you just ready for your click. We also have plenty of ways to cope or not cope. An easy way to handle daily stress is to check out. And we can easily do that with mindless television binging, video reel pacifying, gaming, or substance consumption. I told you we would get to the root, so let's keep exploring. 
Dr. Maria Kohut from Medical News Today asks and solves, anxious about the news? Our top tips on how to cope. Reading the news can be stress-inducing at the best of times. When the news is particularly worrying, many of us experience levels of anxiety so high that we can have difficulty coping. So how can we stay reasonably anxiety-free when the media bombards us with headlines that spook us? It may seem as though we have entered an age of bad news. Every day for the past few years, newspapers and news websites have turned out stressful headlines full blast. There is news about wars and civic unrest, impending ecological disasters, failing economies, violence, and sad local events. And why not admit it? Though we aim to provide our readers with constructive, actionable content at Medical News Today, we too sometimes end up highlighting news that can be stressful. While our intent is positive to warn our readers about possible health dangers and empower our audience to avoid them, our content may sometimes lead to worry and anxiety. So what can you do if what seems like a constant cycle of negative news throughout every media outlet is getting you down and interfering with your well-being? While news cycle-related anxiety has probably existed for centuries, it became particularly obvious in 2016, a year packed with global events that polarized communities. When people started reporting tension and anxiety that stemmed from feeling bombarded by alarming news headlines, some therapists came to describe this as its own phenomenon. For example, therapist Dr. Steven Stozny refers to it as headline stress disorder in an opinion piece for the Washington Post. He describes his personal experience with clients in whom the grueling news cycle triggered intense feelings of worry and helplessness, and he reports that this particularly affected female clients. His observations may be spot on. According to a study from 2012, women are better than men at remembering negative news for longer periods. They also have more persistent psychological reactions to the stress caused by news. Many feel personally devalued, rejected, unseen, unheard, and unsafe. They report a sense of foreboding and mistrust about the future. A survey conducted by the American Psychological Association found that between August 2016 and January 2017, People in the United States reported an overall average stress level increase from 4.8 to 5.1 on the scale, where 1 means little or no stress, and 10 means an extremely high level of stress. According to the researchers, this was the first notable increase in average stress levels in decades. The APA's 2019 report on stress levels in the U.S. population did not find much of a difference compared with past years, except in one respect. Respondents said that they felt distinctly more anxiety about specific topics. According to the most recent poll data from the report, adults in the U.S. experienced the highest amounts of stress about politics, health care, and mass shootings. 
Meanwhile, climate change and sexual harassment, other topics frequently covered in the news, also caused significantly more stress in 2019 than in 2018. The report's authors found that more than 7 in 10 adults, that's 72%, agree with the statement that the media blows things out of proportion. And more than half, 54%, say that they want to stay informed about the news, but following it causes them stress. also added that many people choose to deal with this issue by avoiding the news. Nearly two in five adults, 39%, report that they've taken steps over the past year to reduce their news consumption. When faced with anxiety about what feels like a constant cycle of negative news, the best approach may be to step away and take a break from these reports, at least for a while. For some, the anger, hopelessness, and feeling of powerlessness that can stem from sustained exposure to stressful news can really stand in the way of being productive on a day-to-day basis. Switching to other activities may also help, not only to take your mind off of negative scenarios for a while, but also to help regulate the emotions and make positive connections. Another person said, it's vital to step back and recharge sometimes. She said, my solution for news-based anxiety is the same as for any anxiety I'm feeling. I need to get out into nature, read some books, engage in some face-to-face conversations, and shun screens for a while. As research has shown, reading can also help reduce stress, as can exercise, listening to music, and of course, practicing meditation. Dr. Katherine Nordahl the APA's Executive Director for Professional Practice likewise emphasizes the importance of taking a break from the news cycle and turning to other activities instead. Read enough to stay informed, but then plan activities that give you a regular break from the issues and the stress that may cause. And remember, take care of yourself and pay attention to the other areas of your life. Instead of, or as well as, unplugging from the news, one way of coping with news-related anxiety is to focus on issues that you can help solve. Negative world news regarding acts of violence or the impact of devastating hurricanes, for example, can make people feel powerless and defeated. But everyone can do a little something to make the world better by contributing to positive changes in their communities, families, and even themselves. Another reader said that she was constantly exposed to bad news and it made her want to jump into action. So she did at a local level. I was feeling helpless and useful after a summer of bad news. So I joined a small but passionate political party. It can be tempting to disengage, but stepping back was making me feel like I was letting others decide my future for me. Another reader took a similar approach and found that making a conscious decision to turn away from the news and start focusing on positive changes in her own life felt empowering and helped relieve anxiety. Research has shown that getting involved in one's community by volunteering for local causes can boost a person's sense of well-being, reinstill a feeling of purpose, 
and solidify a sense of identity within the community. I used to feel responsible for everything. If you've never had this feeling, it might be hard to relate. It's a deeply rooted compulsive behavior, so I still have it, but now I can recognize this feeling and take steps to intervene. It starts with focusing on what I can control. When I'm feeling helpless or overwhelmed, I take a step back and I look at this feeling as a current state only. I notice how I'm feeling and then I initiate a line of questioning. Is this within my control? Does this directly affect me? What can I do? Big world problems are hard, but anger and frustration can't be the cure. The question, what can I do, is asked twice. What can I do? What can I do? One questions, what can I really control about the situation? And the other, what can I do to help someone else that I can control? Dr. Ellen Hendrickson shares how to stop feeling overly responsible from quickanddrydirtytips.com. Being a responsible person is usually a good thing. It means you're committed, dependable, accountable, and you care about others. It's the opposite of shirking responsibility by pointing fingers or making excuses. But it's easy to go too far. Do you take on everyone's tasks? If someone you love is grumpy, do you assume it's something you did? Do you apologize when someone else bumps into you? Owning what's yours, mistakes and blunders included, is a sign of maturity. But owning everyone else's mistakes and blunders, not to mention tasks, duties, and emotions, is a sign of over-responsibility. But here's the twist. Being overly responsible isn't just the realm of control freaks or earnest Eagle Scouts. Over-responsibility can work for you, building trust and even currying favor. But at a certain point, over-responsibility stops working and starts getting in the way. Looking through a completely different lens, over-responsibility is often a core symptom of OCD. For example, a person who felt overly responsible for potentially harming others as he drove. Every bump in the road, in his mind, was a pedestrian or a cyclist he had thoughtlessly run over. Someone else was 100% convinced she was responsible when a tree fell on her car during a massive thunderstorm. She insisted, I shouldn't have parked there, I should have known. But what if there's no OCD in the picture? Where does non-diagnosable but toxic over-responsibility come from? Like many dysfunctional beliefs, it often starts in childhood. Kids who get blamed for things they have no power over, like their parents' emotions, finances, or relationships, start to believe that they are indeed responsible. Examples can sound like, look how upset you made your mom, or buying Christmas presents this year is really making us broke, or any variation on the classic mind-bender, look what you made me do. So is over-responsibility helpful or toxic? The answer is a little bit of both.
illustrate, here are four ways it plays out in life. Sign number one, guilt. Guilt is the appropriate emotion to experience when you're deliberately or accidentally causing harm. But in over-responsibility, we feel guilty when things out of our control go wrong. No matter how many balls we're juggling, we feel guilty when someone else drops one. Sign number two, conflict avoidance. Taking on everyone's responsibilities is often a sign of conflict avoidance. In trying to keep the peace, we'd rather shoulder more than our fair share of burden than risk a difficult conversation or worse, a confrontation involving anger or rejection. It's easier to expand the scope of our responsibilities than to risk upsetting or disappointing people we care about. Sign number three, feeling used. This is a tough one. On the one hand, we train those around us to trust that we'll cover for them. We'll drive our teenager to school if he's running late, pick up the loose ends of our coworker's unfinished project, or even work a second job to make up for our spouse's bad financial decisions. The result? An unending to-do list and a thousand details to attend to. We've talked about the difference between demands and priorities Priorities are the things you want to do. Demands are the things other people expect you to do. Too many priorities lead to boredom, while too many demands lead to resentment. And resentment is exactly where the road of over-responsibility takes us. Even though we volunteered to always pick up the pieces, we end up feeling overworked and underappreciated. Sign number four. Feeling competent and needed. So what is this doing on the list? A sense of competence is a good thing, right? Feeling necessary is a good thing. And that's the point. It's nice to feel needed and capable. If we get sick or go out of town and everything grinds to a halt, it's a sign that we matter. But it makes over-responsibility a hard habit to break because it's so reinforcing. There's a deep satisfaction that comes from the sense that we can handle it all and fix whatever comes our way. It gets reinforced externally as well, for better or worse, especially for women, being on top of all the details garners admiration and respect. Being overly responsible can be a hard habit to break. It gets reinforced externally by those who depend on you and reinforced internally because you feel competent But you'll know when it's getting to be too much. Don't wait until you're so resentful you go on strike. Instead, try these three experiments. Number one, return responsibilities. Return responsibilities as if they were overdue library books. Start by thinking of one task or responsibility you can return to one specific person. It may be as small as returning the responsibility of waking up on time to your teenager or as large as returning responsibility for her own happiness to your mother. Regardless of how the responsibility ended up in your hands, whether you took it freely or it was thrust upon you, it's time to pass it back. However, don't expect them to read your mind. Don't just let your teen oversleep on a random Thursday when you're feeling especially resentful. Instead, set everyone up for success by communicating what's happening and why. 
what the expectations are, and collaboratively coming up with a plan that your teen can fully own. When you relinquish, fully relinquish, it's tempting to be a safety net or to manage from the sidelines, but trust that your loved one is capable and creative, even if he racks up a few tardies before all the kinks are worked out. Number two, accept all offers. Practice accepting all that's been given to you. Accept a compliment. Accept tomatoes from your neighbor's garden without worrying about now you have to give her cucumbers. Best of all, accept offers of help. Don't think of it as burdening the helper. Instead, think of it as a way to share the feeling of competence that makes you feel so good. Then, once you're comfortable accepting help, you can go for your black belt by asking for help. Number three, shift your sense of responsibility from saving others to launching others. Consider the core beliefs that keep your over-responsibility simmering. By keeping all the competence to yourself, it implies you think others are incompetent or at least less competent than you. Reframing relinquishing over-responsibility as helping others develop their skills. Especially when it comes to kids, you want to be able to launch them into the world ready to fly, not keep them tethered to you. All in all, there are worse things than being overly responsible. But like all good things taken too far, it can be stressful and it can get in the way of your life. So give others' responsibilities back to them while still enjoying the sense of competence from handling your own. I love the power of perspective. Changing your perspective ever so slightly can open up a whole new way of thinking. Just like the two ways of asking, what can I do? Or, what can I do? Last show, I mentioned the gap and the gain from Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Shifting from what I don't have to what I just learned can be life-changing. To some, finding gratitude might make sense, and to others, it might feel like this elusive quest. But think about Dr. Hardy's perspective. Are you living in the gap? When you think about your life, your job, your family, your dreams, your day, are you only focused on what you have yet to achieve or what you've missed out on? Or are you living in the gain? So take that same vantage point to see if you're celebrating how far you've come, what all you've learned and the milestones you've achieved. This perspective is your choice. Corin Miller helps with 13 strategies therapists personally use to put things in perspective, found at wellandgood.com. Number one, think beyond this moment. When you're overwhelmed, it can be hard to think about anything beyond what's happening right now, but it's still important to take a beat to try it. Doing so may just help you put things in perspective. For instance, when Dr. Jennifer Carter, a psychologist at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center, is overwhelmed, she considers advice her mom gave her during college when she was swimming. An upcoming race felt like life or death. My mother helped me one time by asking, will you ever remember this race in one year? 
Number two, be aware that you actually have to change your perspective to feel better. Understanding the need to put things into perspective is one thing, but recognizing that doing so requires an actual mental shift is crucial. Slow down and become aware of your perspective or lens and actively decide to use a different one. This comes from Miami area psychologist, Dr. Erica Martinez. Seeing things from a different perspective helps people see situations and problem solve more effectively. For example, if you're worried about a looming work deadline, consider how an even-killed coworker may handle the stress. Then try to approach the issue the same way. Number three, don't treat your inner monologue as fact. Whew, this is a good one. It's easy to create a narrative around what's going on, and that may or may not be based in fact. One way to find meaning is to create a narrative. This comes from Dr. Carter. For example, if your partner isn't texting you back, you may create a story to explain why. One possible reason is that your partner doesn't care. What's key, though, is being able to differentiate fact from conjecture when it comes to personal narrative. In order to achieve a balanced perspective and see things from beyond your limited view, you might have to try a different viewpoint. Like maybe your partner is at work and doesn't have time to reply or is on the phone or is wiped out from a long day. With a more balanced perspective, you'll feel less stress. Number four, name your emotions. When I have a panic moment, I always try to imagine pressing a pause button for just a second and naming the emotions that I'm feeling. It's powerful to be able to name the emotion that you're feeling in your mind. If you can name an emotion like thinking, I'm afraid or I'm worried, you can then take a moment to step back and further identify the extra details of these feelings. Like, I'm afraid I'm going to screw up. Once you can ID that emotion, you have an opportunity to try and think about the emotion. Number five, fill the script on the emotion you've named. Dr. Tyler recommends that once you've named your feeling, you take on the exact opposite perspective. So if you're worried you're failing at something, tell yourself that you're actually going to crush it. Telling yourself there's nothing to worry about, even if you don't believe it at all, can really help. Number six, remind yourself that you've done this before. It's highly unlikely that this is the first time you've needed to put things in perspective, which is why clinical psychologist Dr. John Mayer, author of Family Fit, Find Your Balance in Life, recommends remembering that you've survived this kind of thing before. Thinking things like, I've accomplished this before, or I've coped with this before, even if you're not in the exact same situation, gives you comfort that there will be a better tomorrow. Number seven, practice the five whys method. Dr. Martinez likes the five whys method, which asks five why questions to drill down on worries. Number one, why am I angry or upset? Answer, they cut you off. Number two, why might they have cut me off? Answer, they were rushing. Number three, why do people tend to rush? Answer, poor planning, hurrying to get to a loved one at the hospital, needing to go to the bathroom. Number four, why am I angry at someone if they're struggling with these situations? 
Answer, because it's rude and inconsiderate. Number five, why do I perceive someone possibly experiencing such situations as rude or inconsiderate? Answer, I don't. Sometimes things come up and they mess with your schedule and you can't plan on someone being in the ER or needing to go to the bathroom. Basically, this process can help you turn around your thinking and potentially diffuse your emotions at the same time. Number eight, get up and move. Physically changing your environment can make all the difference in the world. Number nine, think about the best case scenario. It's easy to worry about the worst case scenario, which is why Dr. Tyler likes to try to think about the best case scenario. Just thinking or saying it gives you a moment to see how that perspective feels. In the moment, if you have extreme negative thinking, putting the positive out there at least lets you find some balance. Number 10, talk it out. The most powerful method of gaining perspective is to talk to someone about your concerns, whether that be a family member, parent, or even a therapist. Number 11, meditate regularly. Meditation is a time-tested practice for finding perspective and getting more in touch with what matters. It doesn't have to be a religious practice, but finding some time to meditate regularly can go a long way toward putting things in perspective. Number 12, be more creative on the side. Creativity can help you get used to changing your mindset. This comes from Mary May who prefers music and dance to decompress. They support my ability to refuel and calm my energy so that I'm able to prepare for whatever comes up in my future. Number 13, try therapy. Therapists need their own therapy, says Dr. Carter. Not only is taking a turn on the other side of the sofa helpful to get perspective, but the experience of being a therapy client builds empathy for how comfortable it can feel to be vulnerable and ask for help. I know I'm feeling better already. I know that I don't have to take responsibility for other people's actions or emotions. I know that I can change my mood at any moment with just a few simple exercises. And I know that monitoring my mood and watching my intake is something that I really need to pay close attention to, almost a practice. I hope you'll join me in that. If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, initiate a mood makeover today by dropping the negative and self-defeating attitude you've embraced and adopting the exciting world of possibilities you have at your fingertips. Left or right, you choose. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges.